In the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, Jesus and the disciples have just returned from a preaching tour. And they've gone to the coast of Caesarea Philippi because they need some rest and relaxation. They're on a retreat there. They need some time to recharge their batteries, as we would say. And while they're there, Jesus wants to ascertain, He wants to find out the opinions that men have about Him. And so, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, He asks His disciples, Whom say ye that I am? You see, in that day and time, there were a lot of different rumors that were making the rounds as to exactly who Jesus really was. Some said He was John the Baptist, some Elias, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Well, coming into this little circle of His disciples, Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And that then becomes the question of all the ages. And the answers to it are many and they are varied. And actually, our attitude toward Jesus depends on the answer that we give to the question. Because there are some that say that Jesus is a myth. There are some that say Jesus is an imposter. There are some folks that say He was just another fanatic. Then there's that group that says, well, He was a man. He was a good man, no doubt, but He was just a mere Man, And yes, there are still those of us who still proclaim loudly to anyone that will listen that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, is He a myth? Is He a myth? And if He is, then He's like all the other mythical characters of the Greeks and the Romans and all the others. And if someone is a mythical character, that's to say they never had any existence in fact whatsoever. Well, in that far off day and time, in the country where Jesus lived and where He grew up and where He walked among men, no one then thought that Jesus was merely a myth. That's something that's come about in more recent times. Because you see, there were men like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John that all wrote about Jesus Christ. And it was a story that was widely circulated in the country where Jesus lived. It was read by people in His century. It was read by the people that had lived in the communities where Jesus had been. It was read by people that had an opportunity to investigate and know for a certainty whether the statements that were made about Jesus were true or whether they were false. In all of that land, in all of that group of unbelievers of the first century, not one man ever came forward and said that this man Jesus never lived and He was merely a myth. The Lord's day today the Lord's Supper that we just observed, the act of baptism, 
all of those proclaim the fact that Jesus Christ lived. There were those who accepted Him and changed the day of worship from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. The Sabbath was no longer the day to worship God. If Jesus had been a myth, then people, that would have never been done. They would have never observed the resurrection on the first day of the week. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And emblazoned on that table, it says, This do in remembrance of Me. If Jesus had been a myth, then those who lived so close to His day and time would have never kept an institution like the Lord's Supper that was built merely around a myth. The act of baptism, being immersed in water, it has no validity and it has no meaning except as it is associated with Jesus. And if Jesus had never lived, then it becomes absolutely meaningless. More than that, you can determine the character of myths. Their stories are absurd. The stories of Jesus are believable. A myth is never adapted to the needs of mankind. The life and teachings of Jesus fit absolutely perfectly into the program of man. Then think about this. For a myth to grow, it takes time. A myth grows over a period of years. A myth is something that we would sometimes call a tall tale. A myth is something that you associate, I associate with my grandfather. As a young man, he played football. And he was quite an outstanding football player, so the story goes. Well, he tells about the time that they were playing in a game, and he got hit so hard that it knocked him out and caved his chest in and split his pants all at the same time. He woke up and his daddy was fanning him with a hat. When I was a little boy and first time he ever told me that story, they stitched his pants together with baling twine. Now stay with me on this. They stitched his pants together with baling twine and he finished the ball game. By the time I was in my 20s, they put his pants back together with baling wire. And he finished the ball game. I used to tease him. i say, Granddaddy, you live long enough, they'll have put your pants back together with barbed wire for you to finish the ball game. That's a myth. And a myth grows over time. They were telling the story of Jesus ten days after His ascension back to the Father in heaven. Because it was ten days after Jesus went back to heaven that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and told that group of people, this same Jesus you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. 
And they were touched in their hearts and they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And on that day, there were 3,000 people who knew well the story of the crucifixion that put the Lord on, in baptism. They believed that Jesus died and they believed just as completely that Jesus lived again. And they threw off the Jewish yoke. They confessed their faith in Christ as the Son of God. And they were baptized for the remission of their sins. No, beloved. Jesus is not a myth. Jesus lived exactly when history says that He lived. He walked the hills and the valleys of Judea and Palestine. He walked among the people of Galilee. Palestine became the great stage on which the drama of Jesus played out. The life of Jesus is historical fact. It is not a myth. Well, he was an imposter, some say. Some people make that claim. He's not really a myth. He did actually live in Palestine, but he's an imposter. But an imposter can usually be completely exposed by the way that he lives and by the way that he talks. Most men can be trapped in their own speech. There were those that tried more than once to, to trap Jesus, but they never were completely successful. They tried to blindside him. They asked him what we would say today were gotcha questions, but it never worked. Jesus always had a ready answer for those folks. He didn't make any promises of easy pathways. He didn't make any promises of rich rewards. No. Jesus talked about the hard things we would be subjected to. Jesus talked about things like self-denial. He talked about things like taking up a cross. He spoke of leaving father and mother and wife and children and houses and lands. Jesus even went so far as to express the concept of suffering hardships and even death. An imposter wouldn't have preached those kinds of things. Instead of talking about those kinds of things, an imposter would have painted a rosy picture. An imposter would have been like so many today who, who preach the gospel of prosperity. But that's not what Jesus offered. Jesus knew about life. Jesus knew what life demanded. And not one time did Jesus Christ ever deceive anyone. He didn't even act like an imposter. His life was a life of hardship. He wasn't just laid in a manger when He was born. He grew up working in a carpenter shop in Nazareth. And from Jordan to Calvary, the entire life of Jesus was a life of self-denial. 
and a life of facing hard issues. One time Jesus even talked about the foxes having holes and the birds having a nest, and He didn't have any place to lay His head. Okay. Well, He's not a myth. He's not an imposter. But then some say, well, He was a fanatic. There are those in our day and time that would say Christianity is fanaticism. But Jesus wasn't a fanatic. A fanatic lacks poise. And Jesus had poise in abundance. Jesus Christ was precisely what a fanatic is not. Jesus was never taken off guard. And Jesus was never arrogant. Jesus spoke with power and He spoke with force. He condemned sin and He praised righteousness. But He was never beside Himself ranting and raving. A fanatic. That's a person that focuses in and hones in on just one idea. Read this book. The teachings of Jesus Christ cover every facet of life. Jesus proved Himself to be a specialist on every aspect of life that He ever touched. Well then, was He simply a good man? Like some folks today claim that He was. You know, there are a lot of folks today that will readily admit, yes, Jesus is a historical fact. He's not a myth. Yes, Jesus was not a fanatic. But there was nothing special about Jesus. He was just a good teacher and a good man. But He was not divine. I saw a television program not long ago that made the claim that Jesus was just a good man and that Jesus wasn't divine. And yet, if you think about it, <clears throat> by its very nature, it's an impossible situation. If Jesus was not divine, He couldn't be a good man. And you, why? Why? Well, because he said he was divine and he would have been a liar. And a liar is not a good man. So if Jesus isn't divine, he couldn't have been a good man. It means he misrepresented himself and he was an imposter. That'd make him a deceiver. That'd make him a con man. That'd make him like that guy that was selling people tickets on the ferry in New York. And that's not a good man. That's the kind of guy that goes to jail. Jesus claimed not only to be the Son of God, He claimed to be the only begotten Son of God. If He was not what He claimed to be, He was making false claims, and if He's making false claims, He couldn't have been a good man. Would you buy a used car from a man that made false claims? I have, but I didn't know it at the time. But would you do that? No. If a guy lied to you about a used car, would you say, well, he was a good man? 
If Jesus wasn't being truthful in being the Son of God, then He couldn't have been a good man. It's just that simple. It's not rocket surgery. Okay, then we come to something else. And that is that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. If He's not an imposter, and He's not a myth, and He's not a fanatic, and He's more than just a mere man, then He's got to be accounted for in some other way. When Jesus said, Whom say ye that I am? Some say thou art Elias, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that, folks, is in keeping with the nature of Jesus. And there's nothing unreasonable about the claims of Jesus. There are in the Bible <clears throat> 333 distinct messianic prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. All of those except the ones concerning His return to earth, have been fulfilled. All of them. The prophets of old wrote about Jesus Christ. Isaiah told the story of His birth, and in Isaiah 7:14 said, The Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall bring forth a son. The prophets of old said that His birth would take place in Bethlehem, that He would be taken to Egypt, that He would be reared in Nazareth. They told us that He would work mighty miracles, that He would be a teacher of men, that He would be a preacher of righteousness. It was prophesied that one of the twelve that He chose would someday betray Him. Now listen to it. In no detail of the multiplicity of statements about Jesus was there and is there any failure of fulfillment. That's not an accident. One or two or maybe even 20 incidents out of 333 might have come true. But more than 300 are made of Jesus and all of them have come true. You remember Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews? Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no man could do the things you do except God be with him. Jesus performed mighty miracles among the people. And what was the purpose of it? John tells us in John chapter 20. John talks about all of the miracles. And the purpose of the miracles was to prove that Jesus was the representative of God on earth. John said, Truly did Jesus many other signs in the presence of His disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that is climactic proof of His divinity. The fact that Jesus lived is an established fact. And no one doubts the fact that Jesus died. The soldiers that were on guard that night that watched the tomb, the soldiers said that He was dead. The soldiers that took Him from the cross and laid Him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, they said He was dead. Because you know what? They didn't bury live men in that day and time. Just like we don't bury live men today. And when Jesus came down from the cross dead, they put Him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and they wanted to make sure that His disciples didn't come and steal the body. Now when you picture the soldiers on guard, what do you picture in your mind? When they put soldiers to guard the tomb of Jesus, do you picture one on either side of the tomb standing guard? No, ma'am. No, sir. Sixty-four soldiers, sixty-four soldiers were called in to prevent Jesus' body being stolen. For four shifts, six hours at a time, sixteen soldiers were on duty guarding the tomb of Jesus Christ. After six hours, the guards changed and sixteen more took over. A seal was placed on the tomb. And according to Roman law, if a soldier on his watch slept during that watch, the offense was an offense that was punishable by death. And the same was true if the body was stolen. It might be that one or two of those soldiers went to sleep but not all sixteen at one time. But on the third day, something remarkable, something unusual, something that had never happened before and has never happened since, stirred that group of soldiers. The tomb was opened and the dead body of Jesus had been raised. It wasn't there. And those soldiers looked at that empty sepulcher with amazement. The soldiers never said the body was stolen. They went into town. Read the story. They went into town and they told the authorities what had actually happened. And they were bribed to say while we slept, His disciples came and stole the body. Now, can you imagine a court of law today taking that kind of eyewitness testimony? Well, Your Honor, while I was asleep, Rodney Golden came and stole Ted Holt's truck. Well, if you were asleep, how in the name of common sense do you know it was Rodney? It might have been R.J. Soldiers, if you're sleeping, how do you know who stole the body? 
Now remember, sleeping on your watch was an offense punishable by death. Not one Roman soldier was put to death because the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Not one soldier was put to death, and actually three offenses punishable by death had been committed. Sleeping while on watch. Permitting the official seal of the Roman government to be broken and allowing the body to be stolen. All of those are offenses punishable by death, and not one soldier was put to death. The omnipotent hand of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Those disciples that had fled a few hours earlier like frightened, scattered sheep, they now were courageous. They were now eyewitnesses to the majesty of Jesus. And within just a few weeks, in that very city of Jerusalem where He had been put to death, that city where He had been crucified, those disciples proclaimed the resurrection of the Son of God, and they proclaimed it with power. It was Peter that day that said, This same Jesus you've crucified, God hath made both Lord and Christ. And they invited people to come to Jesus. They invited people to come and confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You remember what the eunuch said in Acts chapter 8? Philip had been riding along the road with him, and he preached Jesus, and they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe, you may. He said, I, listen to it, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you've never done it, would you make the same confession this morning that the eunuch made? Have you done it in the past? But Jesus Christ hasn't been the Lord and Master of all of your life. Would you come back home? Would you return? Let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you and make Jesus Lord and Master of all your life. It's His invitation as we stand and what we sing.